0: Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. I don't have to tell you that Treasury volatility has spiked once again amidst powerful cross currents. And now we jump right into earnings season. Ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. This week, our three things are... One, Q3 earnings. They should be fine overall, but we're not out of the woods yet. Two, Fed change. A decidedly dovish narrative is emerging. And three, Pemberton's view. We sat down with the managing partner of one of Europe's largest private credit managers. You'll want to listen in. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. So here in New York, it's time of seasonal change. Out with the old, in with the new. I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about earnings season. Throughout 2023, bears have been warning of impending earnings recession, two or more consecutive quarters of negative earnings growth in the S&P 500. Turns out we got one, as the upcoming quarter is forecast to be the fourth in a row of negative earnings growth. Now, needless to say, this earnings recession has hardly knocked the legs out from underneath risk asset valuations. So what gives? Well, three considerations. One, the starting point two, magnitude, and three, visibility. Now, let's take those one by one. First, a strong starting point. We came into the Fed's hiking cycle on a stimulus-fueled roll. Earnings for the S&P 500 grew a whopping 48% in 2021 over 2020's pandemic-impacted year, but more importantly, a still whopping 29% over 2019's level. Growth slowed to 4% in 2022 as some of that stimulus-driven froth wore off, but if earnings had grown at, say, 8% a year from 2019's level, companies still would be above that level heading into 2023, which means that much of the earnings recession can be attributed to normalization. Second, magnitude, in this case, magnitude of the earnings recession. It's relatively small. The contraction in net income in the S&P 500 is expected to be a negative 0.4% in Q3, which follows negative 5.7% in Q2, negative 2.9% in Q1, and a negative 2.7% in the fourth quarter of last year. That trend is not our friend, but all things considered, not all that bothersome. Margins have normalized. The top line has slowed, but for the most part, earnings have corrected on a quite reasonable glide path. Third, visibility. As we are fond of saying, the defining characteristics of this downturn are that we know the problem and how that problem manifests itself, and we know the solution. As downturns go, this one has not been all that ominous. So along those lines, a headline caught our attention this week. Wall Street is marking up forecasts as profit downturn nears end. Huh, that sounds consistent with what we just talked about. The piece cites earnings revision momentum, which is exactly what it sounds like, a gauge of upward-to-downward changes to expected earnings over the next 12 months. That measure is roughly back to zero, well above the recent low of negative 70% hit back in November of 2022. But hold on. Earnings reports, it goes without saying, are backward-looking. What we're seeing now still reflects leftover stimulus benefits like excess savings, and financial conditions that really haven't bit yet. Remember, economic growth troughs after the last Fed rate hike. That means we're likely to have two to three quarters of net headwinds, if that's a thing, before recovery ensues. And while we'd like to think that analysts understand this, judging by consensus forecasts calling for 12% year-over-year earnings growth in 2024, we wouldn't be so sure. They too, apparently, have gotten caught up in the soft landing scenario just like the Fed has. We would be skeptical. We're not out of the woods yet. All right, now to our second thing. The Fed turns. We remind market participants often that monetary adjustment happens in a variety of places beyond movements in the policy rate. There is also the Fed running down its balance sheet. There are banks adjusting their lending risk appetite. Same with non-banks. And same with funding and capital markets. And speaking of markets, Fed Chair Jefferson touched on just that this past week as something he has taken into consideration in his decidedly dovish comments. Similarly, Lori Logan, head of the Dallas Fed, noted that increasing term premia are working to slow the economy. She was joined by Mary Daly of the San Francisco Fed, who put a number on the effect of the recent rate rise, the equivalent of one 25 basis point hike. Fed Governor Waller joined the party pointing out that, Financial markets are tightening up and they're going to do some of the work for us. He added, if this continues, meaning inflation progress, we're pretty much back to target. Rafael Bostic of the Atlanta Fed sounds like he's already there. I think our policy rate is at a sufficiently restrictive position to get inflation down to 2%. I actually don't think we need to increase rates anymore. Wow, we've come a long way since September. All this is quite a change dare we call it, a pivot, from three weeks ago when the majority of FOMC members suggested another hike would be necessary by the end of the year. Now, we need to point out one complicating factor, rising geopolitical risk. Ordinarily, Treasuries rally on the back of a geopolitical shock, and that's happened a bit this week. And ordinarily, markets broadly do not react all that much to geopolitical events unless the event alters supply and demand, typically in a commodity complex, like oil, and unless the event escalates in a way that creates significant uncertainty. And if that tail event were to happen, we would not expect central banks to feel a need to tighten. So from our perspective, we are less obsessive about every zig and zag in the market or every nuance in an economic release. Here's a pretty simple checklist. Is inflation coming under control? Yes. Are we at or near the end of the hiking cycle? Yes. Do we believe in long and variable lags? Yes. Will higher rates, such as 8% mortgages, 10 to 14% mid-market business loans, 24% credit card loans, will that slow economic growth? Yes. Is the labor market showing signs of loosening up? Yes. Pull it all together and we believe we're on the right track. More importantly, we believe the Fed believes we're on the right track. The economy is set to slow further as the full brunt of credit tightening hits over the next two to three quarters from all those aforementioned sources. Slow down? Yes. Fall off a cliff? No. All right, on to our third thing. A conversation with Simon Drake Brockman, managing partner and co-founder of Pemberton Asset Management, one of the largest private credit investors in Europe. We had a chance to sit down with Mr. Drake Brockman this past week to walk through the private credit landscape in a wide-ranging discussion. We will post the entire conversation on our website in short order. In the meantime, here's a snippet. We asked Mr. Drake Brockman about how the turn in the credit cycle would impact private credit. Have a listen.
1: I think if you look at it at a macro level and this is euro Europe and the US, we're in a yeah you know, we're starting from a much stronger position you know I remember doing deals in o six where we were doing buyouts with twenty five thirty percent equity checks, so there was just no room for error in the capital structure, and therefore on the back of that we saw a significant increase in defaults, not so much losses and if you look at the that period of time, I think people were pleasantly surprised in what the actual Um, Losses were in that space. If you look at today, for the last decade, we've been doing deals with 50% equity checks, so much greater uh, buffer in there. And then I think if you come into Europe, it's quite a different market because Europe is focused on what I call much more service related industries and new economy industries. And so some of the real things that hurt you in downturns, which is high capital expenditure inside the business. If you have a high capex business and a sharp movement in rates, it drains a lot of money out of the business and gives very little room for error inside the business. I think if you look at where we are today, software services and outsourced business services and that have very modest actual capital expenditure or capex in their businesses. It's much more variable cost because it's around people in that space. So therefore, what I think you will see once again, particularly in the European marketplace, You may see, you know, when you will see a increase in default, but I don't think you'll see significant losses in that process. You actually want defaults. Defaults means you can get the borrower to the table and get the private equity firm to shore up the equity base of the firm and to get the borrower to make changes. The challenge in the United States is you've gone to Cub Light, and unfortunately, by the time you get to default in Cub Light, your business is usually in pretty bad shape. And therefore, the best assets may have been moved out and the ability to turn around the business is very, very difficult, which is why we like the European market. We like the covenant structure. We like the tightness of documentation and we like the ability to get the borrower to really do things beforehand. If you look at absolute borrowing costs, we also are going to benefit. We'll we'll be a couple of hundred plus basis points lower than the United States. And therefore, the U.S. economy, for all of its dynamicness, is going to now suffer from a pretty high interest rate environment for a reasonable period of time. And therefore, that two or maybe even 300 basis point differential in Europe will mean that for companies, that's a lot better than it is in the United States, where it's going to become quite painful.
0: Look for our full conversation with the head of Pemberton Asset Management on our website. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, Q3 earnings. They should be fine, but the forward look is a bit more concerning. Two, Fed change. A decidedly dovish narrative is emerging. And three, Pemberton's view. Private credit is well-positioned in Europe to grow. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research, including our full conversation with Simon Drake Brockman of Pemberton Asset Management. We'll see you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.